Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into the hard economics news of the week uh, because it is a Friday, and there's no bigger story than uh, uh, Minister Enoch Gondongwana's first um, uh, first midterm budget policy statement, uh, which was tabled on Thursday. That's the 11th of November, and um, a lot of people just coming out to say that it was a very measured speech that he gave. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, to actually watch and hear what the man had to say. Uh, he was quite, uh, you know, amiable, you know, cracked some jokes, uh, but he, you know, stuck, um, you know, towed the line on a number of different issues uh, because we do have to remember that this is a midterm, you know, policy statement. Um, it is not, you know, the budget for the year. That is going to come um, in uh, February. Um, so we're just going to be hearing from uh, a number of different economists uh, because there has been a lot of reaction um, around this. So with that in mind, we heard from uh, a couple of people uh, just around their thoughts um, when it comes to uh, this budget speech. We're going to you know, highlight this before we get into our discussion uh, with Wayne Duvenage over at Outer. Starting off with uh, Jeff Schultz, who is uh, the senior economist over at BNP Paribas South Africa. Um, you know, He says that uh, we view South Africa's 2021 midterm uh, budget policy statement as a prudent and politically uh, astute masterstroke by the new finance minister. We think the Treasury's uh, revenue estimates look conservative, uh, but the upside potential possibly giving it uh, the green light to extend the social relief grants next year. Although long-term debt sustainability uh, remains an issue, we expect markets to view this budget as a step in the right direction. The February 22 budget will be uh, the next major test uh, you know to our still constructive um, uh, SAGB outlook now the the market view that he then gives is to say that the midterm budget policy statement uh, shows a prudent approach by the National Treasury revenue estimates uh, have been kept uh, conservative and the commitment to, um, for disciplined non-interest expenditures um, has been maintained um, our estimates on budget deficits uh, this fiscal year and the following ones are still better than treasury statements uh, we think the midterm uh, budget budget policy statement will be positive uh, for the rand and then uh, we continue to keep our long asset swap trade idea and also for uh, looking at how that is going to benefit the rand and then moving over to FNB, um, we have uh, Chantal Marx, um, who is uh, investment research head at FNB Wealth and Investment, saying that uh, the 2021 uh, midterm budget speech was more uh, bond friendly than uh, equity friendly. She says that uh, government's estimated revenue overrun of 120.3 billion rand is ahead of our expectations. Treasury is aware. Uh, 
that this is a cyclical windfall and it is uh, encouraging uh, from a bondholder perspective and the overrun is not viewed um, uh, as a license to spend. The higher revenue projection and continued um, expenditure discipline resulted in an improved uh, projected narrowing of the fiscal deficit. Uh, She says a little bit more, uh, but uh, here's what she had to say for herself. The medium-term budget policy statement generally will not include specific changes to policy or plans, but provides an update on how government finances are faring relative to the February budget and guidance in terms of any action Treasury plans to take in the next February budget. This budget was more bond-friendly than equity-friendly from an investment perspective. Government's estimated revenue overrun of 120.3 billion rand is ahead of our expectations. Treasury is aware, though, that this is a cyclical windfall, and it is encouraging from a bondholder perspective that the overrun is not viewed as a license to spend. The higher revenue projection and continued expenditure discipline resulted in an improved projected narrowing of the fiscal deficit. Some of the windfall will, however, be spent on relief packages following the civil unrest in July, which includes the Sastria shortfall, funding wage increases, the Presidential Employment Initiative, vaccine purchases, and an equity injection into Denel. The fact that there were no meaningful tax changes is equity positive. Continued tight expense management does tend to be equity negative, though, since lower government spending tends to detract from growth. However, there was not anything new in terms of spending cuts and limitations, and the minister's emphasis on growth-positive structural reforms may be positively perceived by equity investors. As the minister spoke, the RAND strengthened slightly and bond yields fell across the curve. The JSC held steady at higher levels. Now that we've heard from our economists, we move on to our discussion uh, just around, you know, some live reaction and discussion um, around that budget speech. So for today, we are joined by Wayne Duvenage. He is uh, heading up, he is the CEO of uh, of an organization called the Organization Undoing Tax Abuse, that is OUTA. Uh, they've actually had a stance on a number of different issues, you know, in South Africa, you know, particularly things like uh, e-tolls. Uh, so for today, we decided, uh, you know, let's talk to him just to find out what they were looking at and, you know, some of the sense that they got um, out of uh, the budget speech. Um, Wayne, greetings to you today. Nice to be with you today. Um, you know, so everyone is reacting. Um, you know, we've see we've seen and heard from different interest groups and uh, you know parties. Um, you know, the banks, auditors. Um, you know, l- people like that. From your point of view, just some quick highlights uh, before we get into the discussion, just around some of the things that either stuck out to you or things that uh, actually didn't stick out to you. Well, yes, again, uh, another uh, MTBPS, which um, says a lot of good stuff, but uh, doesn't give us confidence in the actual plan or the implementation of it, the doing, so to speak. Uh, you know, we, we understand we need economic growth. In fact, we saw uh, the surplus that we have currently have from the commodities boom. It just goes to show we can, we can make money. The question is, well, why don't we do that more and get this economic growth? Uh, not just having uh, relied on an external extraction um, boom that, that that helped us. So the proof is in the pudding. Uh, there it is. There's money to be made uh, for this government so that we can deal with our socio 
economic issues, issues and, our, and, and the social contact, contact we have or government has with us. But, um, uh, but we don't get a sense that there's, uh, there, there, there's meaning in, in, in what they say. Uh, and that's a sad reality. So we've got to keep pushing the issue. But I think government is now in a situation where they've got no choice but to start privatizing, as we see energy generation, as we see rail use. I mean, these are good things. Things have been spoken about in a long time in the past because government is unable. They need to outsource it to the private sector and they've got no choice now. Um, now we've heard from, um, like I said, you know, lots of different people. And one of the things that people tend, tend to or seem to agree on is the fact that uh, for Minister Gondongwana, this is his first speech. And unfortunately, it's a midterm speech, not the main one in February. So there wasn't really a lot of room for him to, you know, make any changes. It's sort of just an update on what we heard earlier on. Do you sort of agree with that, um, you know, with that notion? Because um, it would seem as if it might have been an opportunity um, to address certain things, particularly uh, the one thing that we're all uh, facing at the moment, which is probably the longest bout of load shedding that the country's ever seen. Yes, uh, I, yeah, I think he comes out of the same mold and the same line of thought uh, as Tito Mboweni. Uh, and that's good because there we have somebody who thinks rationally and understands the dynamics of economics. Um, I think when it comes to load shedding, uh, everybody knows and he acknowledges the impact it's having. Uh, but what we what we needed him, and I, look, I guess that ship's already sailed, that gate has opened. The uh, uh, the president himself has had to exercise his authority over Gwede Mantashe to lift the generation limits that were in place before and get this horse going, you know, get a new public, uh, a, a, a private um, entities into the generation space. But these were things that were spoken of years ago. Uh, um, the IRP which took ages to get into place, which needs to be updated regularly, is an indication of a lethargic government. Had they have gone down this road when they should have, we would not be in the current space. So now all uh, uh, Minister Ngonaguana is doing uh, is reiterating uh, that, yes, we are going into the space. Well, I don't think they've got a choice, uh, and we have to get there, and we should be generating a lot more electricity than we are doing at the moment in private hands a long time ago. So... Uh, it's one of those things that, that he can speak about and, and, and say, this is where we're going, but I don't think he has a choice. We have to go there, and it's nice to see that we're eventually the penny is dropping. It will be interesting to see how things do develop from that point of view because he did, um, you know, take a lot of time to, you know, talk about the fact that uh, they have lifted some of those power generation limits up to 100 megawatts. And, um, you know, with that whole debate around IPPs and to your earlier point about, uh, you know, moving, you know, certain certain pieces um, of service delivery, you know, moving some of that service delivery over to the private sector. Um, it, it, it will be interesting to see more than anything else how long it will take for, for you know, some of that to actually, um, you know, start materializing. I mean, who's actually got the power generation capacity at the moment? Uh, some of the miners do, um, you know, for example, right? But how long will it take for them to start feeding it out into surrounding areas, maybe putting excess power onto the grid? Yeah, we just wait to see, yeah, because all the time it's about the execution.
Yes, and I think there's a lot of money waiting to come in and do this work. Uh, the private sector will invest so long as they know their money is safe uh, and, and that they'll get a return on it. Uh, so those are the policies that they need to see. You know, they need to understand that the government is going to make it attractive to do so. Uh, but I think that's coming, you know, where there's, where there's funds that's flowing and that's going to come from, from the people, you and I, instead of paying it over to Eskom, going to be paid uh, into the hands of, IPPs, and that's that's a reality, as we said, as we see as well now. I mean, if you'd have asked, told government, look, it's time, uh, Transnet is failing. It's time to privatize the rail networks. It's time to privatize rail, the rail industry. Uh, five, ten years ago, you would have been shot down. But that's now become our reality, not because, oh, that's a good idea. It's because Transnet cannot perform. They don't, they can't run railways. It's as simple as that. They're losing their track process, losing uh, their, their, their tracks and their systems. And so this is where government has to let go of their controls and start inviting people to understand the complexities and the uh, difficulties of running businesses efficiently because government is not efficient. And then speaking of uh, you know all of those SOEs, because that seems to be uh, the realm that we're playing in, whether we're talking about uh, SCOM uh, with load shedding or um, you know Transnet when it comes to to transport, uh, the other piece of the transport pie, and you know something that you guys have been quite serious about is eTolls. Did you hear enough about uh, about it yesterday? What's your feeling around that? No, we didn't. Again, and it's a policy, and this is a policy speech, and he could have made that very clear. They could have made that decision there and then. Uh, look, the ETOL scheme has failed. We know that. And in fact, government through Treasury allocations has been bailing out, uh, or not bailing out, because we call it, this is funds that should have been allocated to offset those bonds via taxes. Um, and they've been doing so anyway for six years, and they indicated uh, that uh, in the in the detail, in the written detail, there is going to be another allocation, but that's fine. What, what he's not saying, though, is we have a failed scheme and we're going to pull the plug so that the 15% of people who are still paying don't have to pay because it's unfair for them to be paying and the 85% not to be paying. So, again, an opportunity missed on that. And I think also, you know, he speaks of, in the, also in the transport section, uh, of, of, of fostering competition and efficiency, yet at the same time, the state uh, protects SAA. It gives money to SAA. It, uh, the Department of Transport hasn't um, uh, even, even constituted the, the Council for the International Air Traffic Services, which is critical for competition. Uh, and, and, and R2 is a failed scheme and policy. It hasn't even got off the ground and it's failing. Uh, we see driver's licenses and massive fees coming in because they want to charge you for going online. Imagine the bank charging you for working online instead of going into the branch. Those are inefficiencies and policies that need to be dealt with seriously, not uh, just through words. And I don't think they get it. And, and, and there's a lot of work to do with civil society. I think that's what's missing in that speech. Okay. Now, just hearing from other, you know, other people, um, you know, in the in the sector, we've uh, heard, you know, various economists talking about the fact that, um, you know, the minister sort of, you know, uh, you know, stuck by the book, uh, but at the same time, 
um, what do you call this? Um, there was a lot being said. Um, we had uh, the guys over at PwC highlighting the fact that uh, there seems to be a plan for 128 billion rand um, revenue boost or revenue bonanza, as they're calling it. That's being driven by uh, you know by the miners. Um, you know, once again, um, is this something you know from your view that we could rely on? Because I think even the minister himself was. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, actually admitted to say that guys, this is a good, it's good that the sector has been bringing in all this revenue, but we can't expect that commodity prices, for example, are something that we are going to, uh, continue to see, you know, staying steady for, for the next, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yes. And I think it highlighted that, um, we could do more in this space. You know, we benefit from a boom. But uh, if you go back a, a decade or so, uh, mining contributed um, handsomely to our GDP and our growth and our revenues. And today, I think it's down in the single-digit figures, if not just above it. Uh, and, and, and other countries are eating our lunch and, and surging ahead in this space. We've got good resources. Uh, we just don't have good systems um, and, 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 and the ability to encourage companies to mine here because of all the interference, it's very, very difficult. And the whole system uh, that, that uh, the Department of Energy and, and, and Mineral Resources uh, runs has collapsed. Uh, that controls prospecting and mining rights and so forth. Again, administrative burdensomeness and cumbersomeness that has got in the way of uh, due to inefficient government. So imagine we could continue to do what we've done uh, in that space and earn that type of revenue. Uh, and on top of that, tourism and everything else so yeah we should we should make it happen as opposed to uh, uh let it happen outside our control that's that's the message i would say no definitely and especially because um you know with better systems in place uh it would be it would be easier for us um to take advantage um of uh you know for us to take advantage of certain uh booms when they do happen you know this could have you know whatever this boom is could have actually trickled um into the economy a bit uh, a bit better from that point of view so now going forward right um we've heard the speech he's given his inaugural speech now we sort of look forward yesterday tone whatever you were able to pick up uh, because you did mention at the beginning that um you sort of see him you sort of see uh, minister ngonongwana sort of being cut from the same cloth as uh, minister mboweni do you see the same sort of um uh, policy objectives being maintained or do you sort of see a possible shift because I guess this was one of the questions when he was first, uh, you know, brought on board to say, what is he going to actually, you know, bring in? What, how much room does he even have to, to, to twiggle around, um, you know, in that, uh, in that portfolio? You know, I think he's got an opportunity to seize the moment, to, to do less of the talk and to say we have to force some of these issues. Um, so we capitulated as a government on, on, on the salary increases, for instance, for public servants. We know that they've had above inflation increases for far too long. We know that's going to be a hard standard. But if it doesn't, the wage bill, the public service wage bill just continues to grow. It's out of line at the moment. We know that many state-owned entities are over-resourced with staff. There are too many staff, government departments. So, so he's going to have to 
Uh, and this is not austerity. This is just way, cutting the cost of waste, of, of, of lack of productivity. Uh, I think he's got to go down that road. You know, the zero-based budgeting that has been spoken about in the past by Tito, he needs to take that, especially in local government. Because what happens in local government is they just perpetuate the old mistakes by renewing contracts, by allowing these increases. Uh, zero-based budgeting cleans the slates, asks the questions of what is necessary in local government. He spoke a bit about local government, but sadly he speaks about, you know, innovation and experimenting. And, and our view is, well, you don't need to experiment to innovate. You need to go and have a look at the few municipalities that are doing so well. They are your benchmarks. Go and check their standards out uh, and, and learn how they run uh, you know, efficient municipalities and go and adopt those policies and processes throughout the uh, country and all the failed uh, municipalities. And by the way, this is an opportunity time for the minister to exercise Treasury's oversight and powers and regulations where if there are errant municipalities who just run roughshod over fiscal process and financial hygiene, well, they will not be able to get the grants that are allocated to them uh, until they get their, uh, their house in order. Those powers they have, yet they don't exercise them. I hope he takes that and engages with those municipalities and makes sure that there are no bonuses, there are no big increases, no big cars and so forth. Uh, for these municipal managers and, and, and mayors and that who really just are, 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 are abusing their positions, actually. He's got a good opportunity there. Um, out of curiosity, uh, are, you, are you able to share, you know, which some of these municipalities that you refer to? Well, um, I think the Auditor General's report's got it all there. I mean, uh, I think what might be a bit embarrassing to the ruling party is that it's opposition parties that seem to be running the, their houses uh, and their towns a lot better. So so I guess they don't want to go down that road because it's embarrassing. And this is where politics gets in the way of good government. Uh, you know, they should put aside the politics and they should just acknowledge that actually let's go and learn from each other and let's apply good practice and let's let's make the best performing towns the benchmarks uh, so yeah i don't want to get stuck into the uh, you know into the political side of it i just want the government to just be rational now and stop politicking and and do it properly and I think that uh, that's probably a good note for us uh, to to end on, you know, to say, you know, on a positive, because um, just given the state of the country, the state of the economy, um, unemployment, the, the 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 burden of social spending, and um, the the burden of trying to you know create jobs in the economy, the burden of trying to resuscitate uh, a lot of these SOEs, um, it's very easy to take a negative negative stance, um, you know, when it comes to any of these budget speeches that we hear, um, you know, coming out from a national treasury. And, um, you know, with that said, you know, are there any things that, you know, do stand out to you as green shoots, um, you know, as we end off today to say, okay, fine, yes, there's all of this red, but, you know, there's uh, there's a couple of, you know, bright spots here and there. Well, I think one of them was this one government plan to, you know, integrate the government departments across all government departments. Uh, I think it's an ambitious one. And, and if they're going to do it, they must get the experts, international experts to come and do it because government is notorious for not being able to reintroduce this complex system. But if they do that, for instance, then you can find out, well, who's employed, ID numbers, who should be getting SASA grants and not, and stop and have the red flags raised a lot earlier than we see this this gross abuse 
where government employees are, are benefiting from SASA grants, we find that afterwards. So, so I think that's a good thing. Uh, but again, it's words. So, uh, you know, we need we need this to happen now, and 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 hopefully, uh, Minister Gwenguana is the is the individual that's going to be that Minister of Finance that drives the necessary change as opposed to speaks the change. Mm. So that was us. We're talking to Wayne Duvenage, who is the CEO of Outer, just giving uh, you know some of uh, some of his thoughts around what's been going on um, with the midterm budget speech that we heard uh, on Thursday this week uh, from Minister Enoch Gondongwana, his inaugural speech, and a couple of things that were you know standing out there. Um, he's talking about he's highlighting uh, the fact that uh, you know this was probably a missed opportunity to speak. Um, um, a little bit more around uh, issues, um, you know, issues to do with things like e-tolls, uh, but also issues to do with energy and uh, the way that all of that is going to be supplied, um, you know, into the country. But also at the same time, um, implementation of the plans, because uh, we hear of or the we hear these speeches all the time. Uh, but like anything else, um, you know, in this country, the implementation is going to be very important, and also you know, looking at uh, how, um, you know, the different municipalities, you know, operate to say, instead of trying to innovate, you know, uh, let's not try to reinvent the wheel, go and see uh, what's actually going on in the municipalities that are working and actually try to implement that, you know, across the board. And, uh, you know, just uh, also then highlighting a couple of green shoots and he's saying that um, the plan to actually integrate uh, the different uh, government departments, very ambitious and it would take a lot to execute. But if done well, uh, something like that would really uh, bode well for the country and also at the same time would increase uh, the efficiencies uh, for the government. Wayne, thank you so much for being with us today. Always nice. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, thanks, Padiwe, for a nice show. This is Mudiwa's Take. Uh, quite a fascinating discussion with uh, Wayne, but just taking a step back and uh, looking at uh, what was actually done and said in that midterm budget speech uh, by Minister Gunungwan, I think, um, you know, just from what we are hearing and seeing and the impressions in the market is to say that this was a measured speech uh, that came out uh, from the finance minister, uh, sort of just towing the line uh, to say that this is where we are, uh, sort of uh, as you, you see that handover between Tito Mboweni and Minister Gondongwana. So waiting to see, you know, how much room he's actually going to have uh, to change things when he crafts his own budget for the first time um, come February, right? It was great to see him, you know, very uh, comfortable with the way that he presented the speech and also you know, he was there cracking jokes. Uh, but when it came to the substantive matters, um, he was, you know, just, you know, hitting all the key points, uh, but at the same time highlighting um, all the areas where the country is earning extra revenue, but being cautious in the way that, uh, you know, in the way that he was doing things, just as a way to not spook the market. Um, I do, I do think that, uh, 
this was a good opportunity to um, address issues around uh, load shedding um, in particular simply because the country has a lot of issues uh, but um, something like uh, electricity power generation is key to everyone it's not something that is sector specific it's not about mining it's not about tourism it's not about financial services it's something that is affecting everyone across the board and it's uh, and it's the individuals the consumers the households uh, that suffer the most uh, when you think about something like that and all it all it really needs is just you know uh just a word around budget allocations what they're doing to address um the 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 utilities debt uh but more importantly what type of uh, interventions are they putting in place to mitigate um what's actually going on with the load shedding because there's an opportunity uh to i guess fast track some of these um IPP implementations particularly uh that one around uh, the lifting uh to 100 meg- megawatts uh, for some of the private players, things like that, you know, in concert when you see different, uh, you know, people coming on board and bringing their own, you know, 100 megawatts, 100 megawatts to the grid, um, all of those things could add because you really don't, it's not really about every single person in South Africa having their own little power station, but it's having enough power stations that can take away some of the burden, um, you know, from ESCOM to say that in, in situations situations like what we have um, some of these breakdowns that we see at the power stations have become a normal occurrence it's one of the reasons that escom constantly gives us so if um some of the other private sector players can then come in and you know take on some of that slack if there were enough of these independent power producers you know that um, you know that were there you know supplying you know part of that deficit uh, that could really go a long way um, to helping the country to address uh, this issue reduce the burden on escom uh, because the truth of the matter is as much as we do um, complain about escom they're probably uh, one of the more efficient run uh, uh, power utilities you know on the continent and they are one of the biggest um, in the world as well and at the same time they're supplying um, other countries with electricity right so some of this stuff it does come with the territory so if a concerted effort because that's what it has to be it has to be a concerted effort to say ESCOM is doing its part and then you know some of the independent players come in they do their part and we all work uh, to just make sure that that system system uh, doesn't fall or fail and then we reduce um, you know these parts of load shedding which are adding cost uh, or uh, to an already burdened economy And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.